I was up with uh, Ziggy Marley a few days ago, and uh, Ziggy tells me that this movie about Bob Marley is pretty amazing. Of course, he's an EP on the project, so what else would Ziggy say? <laughs> I love Ziggy, and I ain't mad at him. I haven't had a chance to see this yet, but I'm anxious to see the Bob Marley film. Miles, you seen it yet? You haven't seen it yet? Okay. So uh, Miles hasn't seen it. I haven't seen it. Um, but we got to check this out. Uh, I hear it's a pretty decent film, and... Uh, a uh, wonderful way to celebrate the life and legacy of one Bob Marley, who sounds as good now as he ever did. So I got to go, got to go check that out. Uh, I'm Tavis Smiley. Glad to have you hanging out with us today. Um, uh, what a great first hour! Uh, and uh, this hour promised to be just as good. And we still got a third hour in front of us. Marsha Warfield, a brilliant comedian, been around a long time. Uh, and uh, you recall Marsha playing the role of Roz on Night Court back in the day. Well, Night Court is back. Uh, and, and, and so is Roz, and so is Marsha Warfield, and she'll be back in this studio uh, in our third hour today. So uh, in our next hour, Marsha Warfield joins us live in studio. Look forward to seeing Marsha. Haven't seen her in quite some time. She's iconic as a black woman comedian, been out there a long time. Uh, so there are a lot of other folks whose names we know these days, but Marsha was there many, many years ago. I'm just glad to see her reboot as Roz on uh, the new version of uh, Night Court. Um, two conversations in this hour. On the back side of this hour, uh, Troy Andrade. Uh, professor uh, of law at the University of Hawaii, Manoa, on an interesting case that's made national news that involves the uh, the use of the indigenous word aloha uh, and HBO's The Wire uh, uh, issues that came up in an interesting case regarding gun control, a uh, state Supreme Court case. Uh, uh, that's pretty interesting. It's been making national headlines, and uh, if that doesn't make any sense, don't worry about it. He'll unpack what it all means on the back side of this hour. Uh, but for now, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to have as I guess, Dr. Marije uh, Chuku Marije. Dr. Marije Chuku Marije. I've been practicing that all day. Uh, I think I got it halfway right. Did I? Did I do halfway? Okay, Dr. Dr. MJ. You did just all right. You got it. Okay. <laughs> uh, I've been practicing Dr. <laughs> Marije Chukumarije. I love that name, man. Not, now, I'm, now I can't stop saying it. Dr. Marije Chukumarije. Uh, everybody, just calls him, everybody just calls him Dr. MJ, and I appreciate you because of the work that you are doing. He is a brilliant and renowned cardiologist, and I'm delighted to have him on in this uh, half hour. Why? Glad you asked. Because while February is Black History Month, it is, and we celebrate that, and that's a beautiful thing. I still ain't figured out how we chose the shortest and coldest month of the year to celebrate such a rich <laughs> heritage but uh it is what it is so february is black history month we all know that but it is also american heart month and i'm just bold enough to try to connect black history and black hearts uh, and see if we can make some sense of this <laughs> and address the issues that i want to share with you right now so uh, a couple of quick stats um and then what well, to frame this conversation then we'll jump right in with dr mj um, black Americans, uh, this won't surprise many of you, are way more likely than others to develop high blood pressure, diabetes, and obesity. Uh, the risk factors, of course, that lead to heart disease and stroke as we uh, celebrate February as Black History Month and American Heart Month. 47% of black adults have been diagnosed with cardiovascular disease compared with 36% of white adults. That number is pretty arresting. Almost half, 47%, almost half of black adults have been diagnosed with some form of cardiovascular disease. I mentioned earlier, high blood pressure, diabetes, obesity, but that almost half of us have been diagnosed with some form of cardiovascular disease. It ought to be embarrassing, uh, humiliating. Uh, I certainly find it insulting, uh, and we can do better. Uh, let's just call it what it is. Uh, African-Americans are 30% more likely to die from heart disease 
than non-Hispanic whites. So we're just not diagnosed at higher numbers. We are 30% more likely to die from heart disease. And black women, get this, black women are 50% more likely to have high blood pressure as compared to white women. 50% more likely black women are to have high blood pressure as compared to white women. So don't ask me why I'm having this conversation. You know why I'm having this conversation because those numbers are arresting. And if we can celebrate black history, I say all the time that we celebrate black history today because somebody did something yesterday. And if we don't do anything today, there is no black history to celebrate tomorrow. But if we ain't here tomorrow, <laughs> then what does it all mean? What, 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 why does it matter? Uh, and so this is a conversation about saving black lives so that we can continue making black history that we can be proud of and that will honor the lives of black babies yet unborn. So there is the stats. Dr. Marije Chukamarije is standing by uh, to uh, unpack all this for us. So when we come forward, we'll dive straight into our conversation with Dr. MJ on Tavis Smiley. This is getting good. Yeah, man. Smiley. Smiley continues when we come forward. 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 Sounds different, huh? This is Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley and Dr. Marije Chukumarije, better known as Dr. MJ, uh, as we talk uh, about black health. I mentioned moments ago, in case you just tuned in, that February, obviously, is Black History Month, but it is also American Heart Month, uh, and... Uh, while on the one hand, we enjoy the month of February celebrating uh, our great and grand contributions to this country. Uh, the reality is that many of us are dying from cardiovascular disease. And so if we can do with the first part. Let's also do with the second part. Uh, and Dr. MJ, th those numbers, I mean, you know this stuff. You are a cardiologist. But when you hear those numbers, even though this is the frame that you work in every day, you hear what exactly? Yeah, you know, it's it's always concerning to me and, and appalling each time I hear it, despite the fact that, um, you know, the, these numbers have been reigning true for some time now. And on the top of your, your segment, when you're reading those stats, you said exactly um, what we hear a lot, which is some of this may not surprise you. And, and that's a problem that it doesn't surprise us anymore, right? Mm. The fact that heart disease continues to be the number one killer, not just in America, but the world. But it continues to plague African-Americans at a much higher rate and capacity than it does anybody else. So, you know, that that continues to be a bother, some, a bother to me. And that's exactly what I do, why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. um, tell me more about why you do what you do when you know, given these numbers, to your point, we're not surprised. And you know that there's uh, no I haven't seen any real data. You know more than I do, but I've seen no real data in preparation for this conversation that suggests to me that these numbers are abating in any significant way so that every day you go to work as a cardiologist trying to help black folk, you know, you climbing up the rough side of the mountain and yet you wake up every day and do it anyway. Why? And well, if, if not me, then who, right? Yeah. It's, it's one way to, to, to frame that, that answer, right? Um, when it comes to the uh, medical workforce, um, we think about the disparities that exist in the number of black doctors and providers that there are to treat the many black patients that there are, right? We, we make up, uh, uh, black people make up 13% of the U.S. population. Um, but when it comes to doctors, you know, we make up less than 6%. I mean, there's a huge number of uh, black patients out there that don't often get to go into an office and see a provider that looks like them. And the importance of seeing someone that looks like them, we call that cultural competence sure, sure. Um, and cultural con 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 concordance, meaning that 
someone that's sitting across from you, they understand you. They understand your background. They understand your culture. They understand your family dynamics. They understand the um, the do's and don'ts of what goes on in your household. They understand why you may feel the way you feel about certain treatments, medications, and recommendations that are given to you. They understand it because they they lived it. They experienced it themselves as well as their family members. So I get up and do what I do every day because they need someone that's going to understand them, someone that's going to advocate for them and hopefully um, inspire a ne- the next generation of black doctors to, to step up and do the same. No, I take your point. I'm a strong advocate, of course, for culturally competent care, uh, cultural uh, 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 care that is um, considerate of who the patient actually is. Um, I, I get that, and I'm an advocate for that. And yet I'm, I'm wondering, uh, given what you just said, whether or not you think uh, that an increase in the level of cultural competence that black patients are afforded would in any way impact these numbers. I'm not so sure that I buy the argument. I'm not so sure you're making it, uh, but I want to I want him, I want to interrogate yeah. it anyway. I'm not so sure I buy the argument that just because we bring more doctors online, that automatically means that the heart health of black people would be increased. Um, I, I wish the solution were that easy, but you tell me. Mm-hmm. I, no, I absolutely agree with you. That is absolutely not not the case. Having having just having more black doctors is not enough by any stretch. Because the most important thing that we need to talk about as to um, what these stats are, we need to talk about why these stats are the way that they are, and they're not just this way because there are not enough black doctors. That's part of the reason. They're also this way because of the innate and and the structural. Um, infrastructure that has existed for years, right? Structural racism has been something that has contributed heavily to the uh, development and the progression of the disparities that exist uh, amongst uh, our, our Black um, uh, people, right? When we're talking about the disparities and, and the way that they worsen these things called social determinants of health, right? I, I'm not sure if the audience has heard social determinants of health, but what that means is Social determinants of health are conditions that uh, affect the black community. It's, they're part of the reasons why it's harder for um, black people to avoid some of these risk, risk factors like hypertension, diabetes, and high cholesterol. So examples of that would be uh, the neighborhoods that we live in, right? Black people are mar- marginalized and placed into certain communities, and that then leads to these uh, developments of food deserts where mm-hmm. it's harder for us to get access to healthier foods. It's harder for us to get access to um, areas where, where individuals can just feel safe to go outside and, and exercise and, and uh, be in their own community. Um, it's, it's harder for them to have to uh, get, a, get rides and, and childcare to be able to make their doctor's appointment. So these type of structural problems are, are the reasons, a part of the reasons that have led mm-hmm. to uh, the disparities that exist. Yep. And I, the biggest thing I always like to emphasize is that it is not genetic. That's something that I tell my, my patients all the time. Um, it's not a genetic issue. Yeah. There, there are a couple of things you just said now that are worth uh, unpacking. Let me start with the latter point you just made. Then we'll go, then we'll, I'll go backwards in a moment. Um, when you say it's not genetic, uh, I'm glad you say that because you will hear a lot of our people, let's just, uh, just keep it real. A lot of our people, uh, you know, mm-hmm. make, make an excuse of the fact that my grandmama had high blood pressure and my mama had Absolutely. high blood pressure. And so yeah, that, that, that is true. Your grandmama had it and y- your mama had it and, and, and you have it. So that part of the story mm-hmm. is true. As we say that part, that part's true. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it is genetic. I'm, I'm just wondering whether or not black people, how might I put this kindly and generously and charitably, that black people have bamboozled themselves into believing that this stuff is genetic mm-hmm. because they mama and their grandmama had it. 
Mm-hmm. I, I would say it's, you know, with, without even framing it as black people bam- bamboozing themselves, because I completely understand where you're coming from with that. I do think that innately we have been conditioned to feel that way because a lot of black people go and see providers who tell them, oh, your, your dad had hypertension. Okay, well, you know, that's why you have it. Mm-hmm. That is wrong, mm-hmm. right? That is so wrong. And you, so you are completely right. I have so many of my patients, particularly my black patients that come and say, um, oh, yeah, well, you know, my dad had high blood pressure as if that just somehow miraculously means that they're supposed to get it as, as well. And so it is such a great point to bring up that just because your mom, your dad, and maybe your grandparents had high blood pressure, like you said, that's a fact. That does not mean that yep. you are supposed to inherit, inherit it. That is a huge misconception. And the reason that that ends up uh, falling in line to where sometimes you do see the grandparents and then the parents and then the, the child have this disease is because the lifestyle is what is inherited. The lifestyle mm-hmm. is what's conditioned in that family. Right. So, you know, there's there's a, a running joke sometimes uh, where they say, um, you know, a patient says, uh, oh, yeah, diabetes runs in my family. And someone's like, no, you have diabetes because no one runs in your family. <laughs> right? Because, because <laughs> the most important thing, <laughs> the most important thing is to actually condition and promote yeah. the, the uh, lifestyle that we're supposed to build. That's heart healthy living. That's that's uh, um, uh, exercising so that we as a family and as a community can make sure that we're living in a healthy way, mm-hmm. not just relying on the fact that, hey, you know, this is destined to happen to me. It is not. Yeah. And I, I, I'm laughing because I thought my comedian was in the third hour today. I thought Marsha Warfield was. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Marsha Warfield, who plays Roz on Night Court, who's our guest in our third hour uh-huh. today. I, I thought she was bringing the comedy. And here comes Dr. Marije Chukamarije, Dr. MJ. Uh, that, that is a funny. That's love. funny. I mean, but I, I love. And let me just detour for a second, or pivot for a second, or pause for a second. I was just talking to uh, Donnell mm-hmm. Ra- Donnell Rawlings, great comedian, by the way. If you missed yesterday's conversation, mm-hmm. conversation with Donnell, check out the podcast. Donnell had an amazing conversation yesterday. He is the third person for whom Dave Chappelle has produced a Netflix comedy special. The first was Earthquake, mm-hmm. and then there was Lunell. And now there is Donnell Rawlings. Today, the 27th, uh, is the day that Donnell's uh, special premieres on Netflix. It's a funny piece of work. I've already seen it, so uh, I highly recommend it. So check out Donnell Rawlings today uh, on Netflix uh, with the premiere of his new special called A New Day. He was our guest yesterday. So we were talking about comedy yesterday with a particular comedian. we got Marsha Warfield coming up, talking about the new, uh, the upcoming uh, festival. Uh, Netflix is a joke uh, comedy festival coming up here in a few months. So uh, here comes Dr. MJ, though, with his with his brand of humor but i raise that because sometimes <laughs> it is the humor that gets the point across is it not it's the humor mm-hmm. sometimes that we can relate to no diabetes don't run in your family nobody in your family runs that's why you got diabetes mm-hmm. and so <laughs> the, the point is abundantly clear but it, sometimes a little humor uh makes it uh drives home a little bit better let me come back to something that is not funny at all a point you made earlier that made me think about this which is that if in fact there aren't enough African-American physicians, and we know that, um, then we are perennially going to be in this frame of uh, talking about cultural competence and cultural concordance, just not enough of it because mm-hmm. there aren't enough African-American doctors, which means, just follow my logic here, Just follow. it means that we're going to be, for now and for the near, near term, black people going to see primarily white physicians. If they don't Mm -hmm. understand or if they don't buy the argument that you made earlier 
about these social determinants of health, and I can guarantee you they ain't studied this in med school. They don't know nothing about it. They ain't never heard of mm -hmm. social determinants of health in med school. It's not, it's not in their lane. They're not in that lane. So they don't know anything about that, and they're not accepting of that argument. They don't know anything about structural racism. They don't live in it. They're not subjected to it. They haven't studied it. They don't know anything about it. So if they don't understand social determinants of health, if they don't get structural racism, and we are perennially forced to go see white doctors because there aren't enough black doctors, I don't know how you arrest this, Dr. MJ. It's a it's an ongoing problem, and it's something that uh, you know you'll you'll continually see a lot of um, doctors, and I I don't even want to say it's only black doctors because I, I do like I said there are a lot of allies um, in the space who also recognize the problem and recognize that there's an issue there. Mm -hmm. But obviously, predominantly black doctors are the ones that are having to step up to continue to advocate um, for ourselves, but also for the different types of programs and opportunities that are, are going to lead to more of us in, into the space. And, and again, there's a, a real reason why, you know, we, we talk a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how, you know, these DEI initiatives um, continue to uh, have, you know, pros and cons. And, and, you know, that's an argument for a different day for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But, you know, currently, there's this, there's this um, argument in the dermatology space. And, you know, obviously, I'm a cardiologist. And, that's not my field, but there's been a lot of backlash because there are some DEI initiatives that have, that have been um, uh, discussed and there has been a large support of removing these DEI initiatives by predominantly non-black dermatologists. But when you remove things like that from the medical field, then you continue to exasperate and, and exaggerate a lot of the disparities that exist, specifically thinking in the dermatology field. Do you know a lot of black patients have dermatological conditions and rashes and things that look differently on their skin than it looks on white skin. Mm -hmm. But in med school, we continue to learn from the white pictures and the white skin pictures and the white with the way a white rash looks. So black patients often go misdiagnosed or underdiagnosed or not diagnosed at all. And so that's just a small example of why it's so important to have, again, concordant care and to yeah. have the the providers that are going to be able to frame these conversations one of specifically the, when it comes to cardiovascular health as well one of the ways to reduce uh, the impacts of cardiovascular disease on black people is to intervene before the risk of heart disease actually increases uh i have I, 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 I am not a physician i don't play one on radio or television and yet i've done enough of these conversations <laughs> to know that so many so many of the maladies the health maladies that black people face all comes down to one thing, early intervention, early detection. Mm -hmm. um, is there any evidence that suggests that we're getting better at least at that part? You know, you, you need to go uh, go ahead and, uh, and and write for the American Medical Association because you're <laughs> right on point <laughs> with a lot of things you're saying. It, it is you, you are taking the words out of my mouth because uh, I often have a, my tagline to my patients is that prevention is better than treatment. Right. Mm -hmm. We have so many people that do not want to take medications and I am one of them. Let me tell people right now, I do not like prescribing medications. I know that there's this misconception that doctors get paid for prescriptions or we get paid to to um, uh, uh, kind of just push along medications and drugs. I have no benefit in doing that to patients unless it's beneficial for that patient. The thing I would prefer the most is to make sure that a patient never has to touch one drug, right? And the way we do that is by focusing on prevention. 
by making sure that we can identify conditions early enough, that we can make sure that we do the things in our life and in our diet um, amongst our community and family members to make sure that we prevent the development of any diseases. And if we do that, then we don't have to worry about treatment. We don't want to have to worry about medications. We don't have to worry about procedures and surgeries. But obviously, there are some conditions that are not preventable or that despite your best attempts at prevention, you still may develop. And that's when it, medications have a role. But if we can focus on preventing these things by, by um, not only adopting those appropriate uh, screening, I mean, um, measurements, but also going out and getting your screenings, then you can catch things early enough before they ever become a problem, heart disease included. Yep. And we know that's even more important in the black community. Nope. Um, that's uh, that's the answer. Um, that prevention is a whole lot better uh, than uh, than medication or anything else, for that matter. Um, a thousand percent. Medication, amputation, any of any of those Asians, uh, prevention mm -hmm. is, is better than. We'll leave it there. Uh, he's cardiologist, uh, Dr. Marije Chukamarije, uh, better known by his patients as Dr. MJ. Uh, I said at the top of this conversation that uh, February, as we all know, is Black History Month. It is also American Heart Month. And uh, I just thought it made sense for at least 30 minutes uh, to try to uh, connect those two things, to weave those two things and just make the point uh, that we are we are a resilient people. We are a resilient people. But sometimes we fight fights. We don't have to fight. We don't need to be fighting this fight of cardiovascular disease if we can prevent it. Uh, on the front side. Dr. MJ, thank you for your work and witness. Good to have you on this program, my friend. All the best to you, sir. I'm really appreciated. Um, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, sir. Same to you. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. <laughs>